That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to A Thing or Two, a deep dive into stuff we think more people should know about. I'm Claire Mazur. And I'm Erica Cerullo. If you want more where this came from and want to support us in general, head to a thing or two hq.com and sign up for Secret Menu, which will get you weekly access to members only content. To share your thoughts on this episode or anything at all, leave us a voicemail at 833-632-5463 or DM us on Instagram at a thing or two HQ. Um, something we really want comments and thoughts on. I was gonna say. If you have thoughts, well, do if we you have thoughts? Do we have thoughts? We do have thoughts. Um, the casting for the the idea of you movie and the announcement in general and the announcement and the plot in general. and the name changes and all, all of it. it. Okay, Can you so, give a little bit of background on the idea of you? Mm-hmm, um, okay. So I'm sure 90% of our audience has, well, I'm assuming that 90% of our audiences are loyalists, but <laughs> nine, some percentage of our audience is so sick of hearing about this book. And it's like, I can't believe they're going to describe the plot again. However, we're going to do it. And that's just what briefly the, though, just, I, yeah, the brief That's version. why they made on the podcast app, the fast forward 30 seconds thing <laughs> for this moment. And for commercials, but for this moment. It's like, this is the second chapter in the Babysitter's Club book where they tell you about how the Babysitter's Club works. And you're you're like, like, bitch, I know. I've read 90 of these. Like, I know that they meet in Claudia's bedroom. Wow. Outstanding analogy. Outstanding work, my friend. Um, That's beautiful. All right. So... The Idea of You, published in 2017 by author Robin Lee, who is also an actress, has had like various parts in big Hollywood movies. It is about this 39-year-old woman who is divorced and has a tween, takes her tween daughter to a concert that is like probably, you know, in real life would be One Direction. Backstage meets who in real life would be Harry Styles, who's 20 years old. They start a love affair. It is so good. Um, So good. It's sexy. It's fun. It's well written. It's like got the right references. It's just the best romance novel. And I mean, I think it's fair to say if you if you haven't read it yet, pause this podcast and go read it. I think yes, definitely pause the podcast and go read it. It's and it, what happened is it was published in 2017. I probably to like moderate success. Definitely didn't get a big marketing push. And then our sense is that over the last year, like maybe even just right before the pandemic, it started to pick up. And then during the pandemic, it spread like wildfire in that same way that like Twilight did where and 
Fifty Shades, where it was just like women telling dog-eared copies passed around, like Valley of the Dolls in 2021. My favorite story that I feel like is probably really representative of it is that one of my best friends who I recommended it to as a nurse and she loved it and then started recommending to it. And she was like, I was in the cafeteria the other day and this other nurse came up to me and she was like, you were the one who recommended the idea of you, right? (laughs) Like it was like spreading like wildfire around the hospital. And I loved it. I was like, yes, this is how it happens. And that's an audience that needs an escape. You know, that is an audience that needs, deserves an escape. And I think this film should also have been that escape for them. And I just don't know if they're getting what they deserve. (laughs) Right. So book has like a a huge, very culty fan base, like insanely wild and active Facebook groups. Yeah. Yeah. And before this like resurgence of it had already been optioned for film and TV by Gabrielle Union. Um, love, love. Felt so we, great about yeah, this. We so felt good great. about this. But we also know that like things are optioned all the time by big names and then sit in purgatory forever. But had hoped that all of this renewed attention for the book would result in it finally getting developed. And lo and behold, it is getting developed by Gabrielle Union's production company in partnership with Amazon Studios. And the announcement. Which, listen, I have a lot of negative things to say about Amazon <laughs> Studios. I guess this is okay. okay. Yeah. Or not they, about Amazon Studios, about Amazon. Right, about Amazon. Know. But they knew a winner when they saw one. Um, they so, tend to. Right. <laughs> so they, the announcement is made It's that in deadline, and that's all we have as of recording. And by the time this comes out, maybe there will be more news about it. But all we know is that Jennifer Westfeld is adapting the screenplay. And I, I think. Apparently, Jennifer Westfeld is on Younger, which I haven't watched enough of to know. I know her as John Hamm's ex. And then she's also, I guess, wrote Kissing Jessica Stein and Friends with Kids. Um, which I love. And I feel like I, know. I told you to watch for years. You need to I, watch it. I, As I was writing out the notes for this episode, I was like, and then we're going to have to have the conversation where Erica's <laughs> like, why haven't you watched that movie yet? And I'm going to have it's to say, I know. It's on Max. I, I don't know what you're so busy with. <laughs> With kids. I'm the friend with kids. <laughs> and Okay. Fine. She's also written for This Is Us, Girls, 24, Grey's Anatomy. So like she's got chops. So I feel fine about this for her. I feel yeah. great about this, yeah, actually. Yeah. I, right. I like I like what she has yeah. done. And I, yeah. I, I there's a vote of confidence in her being involved. This is like a consolation to me. This was also a weird moment for me because as someone who knew her exclusively as John Hamm's ex up until this, for some reason, I always thought she was a makeup artist. I have no idea why. I couldn't tell. I like in my head, I was like, yeah, John Hamm had that longtime partner who he had met because she was a makeup artist. What is this tale I spun in my head? It's somebody else, but I can't think of who it is. Yeah, no. Somebody else married their makeup artist that they met on set? Yeah. This is actually the perfect time for a voicemail. Somebody please tell me because it's really going to bother me. It's going to like keep me up at night. Um, So this we're all like, fine, great. We feel good about this. You know, it would be great to not have Amazon attached if only that who wants to make Jeff Bezos richer, but fine, moving on. Then we get to the disappointing part. This movie is described as a star vehicle for Anne Hathaway. And the plot is summed up as centering on Sophie, a 40-year-old divorced mother. Sophie's husband, Dan, left her for a younger woman. And now he has canceled his Coachella trip with her 15-year-old daughter. Sophie picks up the pieces and braves the crowds in desert heat. There she meets 24-year-old Hayes Campbell, the lead singer of the hottest boy band on the planet, August Moon. Where should we start with what's wrong with all of this? I would like to start with Coachella. Yes. I don't feel good about it. I am mad about this. 
they she they don't need to go to Coachella. Like I really and they the other was like a show in Vegas. They were yes. bad. Like that feels right. Like I want a 15-year-old in Vegas. Like I want this, like, what are why do they need to be at Coachella? You know and what? And then I'm worried the whole thing's gonna take place at Coachella and that's oh gonna be like the vibe. You know what I mean? That it's gonna be this whirlwind Coachella romance ball. Erica, I spent a lot of time in the Facebook group researching this prep for this episode because there's been so like all of the the outrage about the casting and about the like revised plot is happening in a really big way in the Facebook group. And one savvy fan pointed out that not only is Coachella wrong in every way, but there is a line in the book mm. where Hayes says to Soline, who for the movie has been re- renamed Sophie, he says, do you know what I like about you? That you've never been to Coachella and you only Instagram pictures of art. Like that's a whole line that he likes that she's never been to Coachella. And then the whole movie is set at Coachella. Or, I don't like you know, this. Or the, we not don't the know. whole movie, but right. But there's right, enough right. about Coachella in this description yeah. that I that I worry, that I that I fear. Can we talk about the fact that the name was changed to Sophie? It's really upsetting. I think in general, I guess the name's probably pronounced Solen. Um mm-hmm. the main character's name. I would imagine. Part of it is that she is, she's a, her parents are French that like plays a role into this. She just feels a little interesting and not just your all American girl. The fact that the name was changed to Sophie feels so wrong and also just so unnecessary. Why can't we have weird names in big Hollywood movies? Not even, it's not even a weird it's name. Why can't we have different names? Yeah. Yeah. In yeah. Hollywood There's movies. No, yeah, exactly. 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 Well, it's because as we've spoken to, this is a star vehicle for Anne Cathaway, who no one's buying as a Selene. So that was, for me, the crushing moment. I saw Anne Hathaway's name in the headline, and I felt like I understood. I, this is probably a terrible analogy, but it felt for me like I imagine sports fans feel when their favorite player gets traded from like their favorite team, where you're just mm, like, mm, I'm mm. no longer... Or if your team picks up a player that you, that you really hate. hate. Right, yeah. exactly. And you're just like, I was so excited for this season of football or basketball or whatever, whatever but now it's going to be ruined is, yeah. for me because my favorite team is going to have this person that, yeah, I can't stand. Right. You're right. It's when they pick up somebody that you can't stand. They make a bad trade, whatever it is. And you're just like, am I even going to be able to enjoy this thing that I've been so looking forward to? You know, all I wanted was for this movie to get made, for this universe to be extended. As someone who has both read it and listened to the audiobook, I was very excited to consume it. And yet you another wanted a visual, format. a visual yeah. medium uh, component of this. Listen, I mean, we try not to go negative on this podcast mm-hmm. and we don't need to say things about Anne Hathaway mm-hmm. um, that we might someday regret. Yeah. But, but she's just not right for the role. This for is like, the thing. I, I think we can put aside the sort of like mainstream criticisms of Anne Hathaway, which are that she's like an annoying geeky theater kid and like tries too hard or whatever. You know, that's not, not the problem. Put away, you know, I'm not going to put away the tries too hard part. Okay. Because yeah. I think the tries too hard part is core to why she's not she right doesn't for work. this role. That's right. It's that and... Uh, it's unfair for me to say she's not sexy. Everybody's kink is different. I don't find her sexy. Yeah. It's also just not her thing. It's not the right vibe and it's not the right energy. And to your point about her being try hard, when I saw pictures of her on set as the wife of the founder of WeWork in the new WeWork movie, I mm. was like, fucking nailed it. They nailed it. She is so perfect for that role. She like, not only does she physically like look like that woman, but you can see her embodying that woman. There is no way the same person who's going to nail that role is also going to nail the role of Solene. Totally, totally. AKA Sophie. The one role that I really liked her in was in Ocean's 8 in which she plays this like famous actress who is always trying extremely hard. Mm -hmm. I also will say 
for the superfans, also from my Facebook group research, Robin specifically cites as her original inspiration for this for this character, this woman, Leticia Herrera, who is the founder of Casa Tua Hotels, who is of like unclear heritage, but she's not an Anne Hathaway lookalike, let me tell you. She's like <laughs> got something very, like a very different look going on where you're just like, I get it. It's like someone where you're like, who's that woman? She could be from anywhere. She could do anything. She's very mysterious. Like, I want to know more. Anne Hathaway, you're like, I've got your number, babe. It's not the same. It's, speaking it's of numbers, Claire, speaking yeah. of numbers, uh-huh. they've insisted upon, they mm-hmm. being mm-hmm. the movie producing universe, yeah. has insisted upon changing Hayes' age from 20 mm-hmm. to 24. Utterly dumb. Why? Utterly dumb. You know, if they had wanted to make him 21 so that he could drink without, you know, a problem, I would accept it. Totally. He's also British, so he could drink whatever. You, right. you know what I mean? Yes. Like, it's yes. like it's not getting in his way. But also just like, you know, they're going to cast whatever age person they want to cast anyway. It doesn't Duh. matter. We don't need to call him. Like, I don't know. Like people, 27-year-olds play 20-year-olds all the time. It's not yes. going to actually change the casting. So we don't need to do this except for like setting a tone that like, this is what we find to be appropriate. We've decided that a 40-year-old woman and a 24-year-old man are acceptable, but a 40-year-old woman and a 20-year-old man are completely unacceptable. I just get so annoyed when I imagine the conversations that happened that led to that decision that he had to be 24. It's so dumb. Because we can hear them all, and yes. and you're you're just like grinding your teeth over, and the it. fear of who they're going to offend if the kid's twenty versus twenty four, and all of that. I also hated the plot description because it made it seem like the husband leaving her was central to the plot of the movie, and it's definitely not central to the plot of the book. Like it's a bit of a like secondary like plot. It's it's a B plot. It, yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah, it's yeah. a premise. It's like she is divorced. That's who part of who this person is. And navigating like the relationship with um, yes. with a husband who, from whom you're divorced, from, that is like a thing that happens in her life, but it's yes. not like a driving force. And you certainly don't get the sense that like she, in the book, that she was left for this younger woman. It's like they were divorced. It didn't work out, whatever, probably had something to do with her There's ambitions. a new girlfriend. And, yes, exactly. Yeah. And what's like fascinating to me about all of this is it's, I think nobody would argue otherwise that the the success of this book has been so fan-driven. Like, this is a word-of-mouth success. This is, like, rabid fans in Facebook groups. Why not just cater to the fans, like, who are clearly unhappy and are also now, by the way, launching Twitter campaigns to change the casting? I love it. Which, at first, I was like, I mean, sure, if that's where you want to put your energy. And then I actually got really hopeful because (laughs) I read there was a piece by Jenna Wortham in the New York Times Magazine about Janik Sabravo, the director of Zola, the new movie about the Twitter thread. You, you you get it. You Google it. Yeah. Yeah. And it gets into the background of how this Twitter thread ultimately became this big movie and um, and how Janixa Bravo ended up directing because originally it was announced, I think in like 2017, that James Franco was attached to write, direct, and star in the movie. And that was that. Oh, wow. And Definitely the, off the back of like uh, of Spring, Spring Breakers. Breakers for yeah. sure. Yeah. Okay. For sure. Okay. And people were livid and people were tweeting and fans were really upset. And he ended up getting removed from the project because people were so upset. And I heard this and I was like, oh, so it can happen. So you're saying there's a chance. Like Anne Hathaway could be so removed from this. So you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you're saying there's a chance. So 
So I don't know about you, but I am dying to get back to workout classes again. It's been so long and I'm starting to miss the little things. Like, do you know what I would give to wipe someone else's sweat off of the machines or yoga mats right now? Or to hear the instructor shout at me to get another rep in? Vaccination is the most effective way to help prevent COVID-19 and get back to the good times. Find a COVID-19 vaccine location near you at vaccines.gov. That's V-A-C-C-I-N-E-S.gov. Thank you so much to BetterHelp for sponsoring today's episode. Erica, one of the most like fascinating things to have observed over the last year and a half of the pandemic is the ways in which like collective grief is different from individual grief and the times at which you feel like you're going through a painful thing as part of a community. They're of course painful, but they really differ from that like feeling that you're the but only like one experiencing. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then like the other sort of side of that is though the pandemic has been you know, obviously a collective experience. I think that everybody has been experiencing the grief in, in really different times and like in really different patterns and really different ways. And I've always- There are like individualized aspects to the grief. Yeah. yeah. And I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like, I remember the moment people started getting vaccinated and everybody was feeling that sort of like PTSD, I guess you could say, where people were like, I'm like weirdly feeling depressed now because I'm like processing what's happening. And I wasn't feeling that way at all. But then recently I have been starting to be like, I think I'm finally processing everything that happened last year. And I'm like out of step with everybody else. And this is like weird. And I don't quite know how to handle it. And I wish that like I had been feeling it before when everybody else was. And as if you could control it. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, and like, it's like, and the opportunity is there to have someone help you process yes. some yes. of that. And talking to a licensed therapist can help you feel better or just like works through some stuff. Yeah. Um, BetterHelp is not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is a professional counseling done securely online so you can get the help you want on your own time and at your own pace. They have 3,000 U.S. licensed therapists across 50 states and four modes of communication, text, chat, phone, and video. You can start communicating with a counselor in under 24 hours and schedule weekly secure video or phone sessions, plus chat and text with your therapist. Anything you share is confidential, and if for any reason you're not happy with your counselor, you can request a different one. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. We want you to start living a happier life today and to work through the stuff that you want to be working through. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com slash a thing or two. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash a thing or two. Thank you so much for supporting the sponsors who make it possible for us to bring you the show every week. Hey there, have you ever wanted to learn how to overcome your health challenges, level up in life, and become your best self? Want business, beauty, and bite-sized wellness tips from the best? My name is Tara Mackey, the best-selling author and entrepreneur who's here to help you live better on my show, Bold and Brilliant. Make sure to tune in every Tuesday and subscribe so you don't miss a moment. Also, make sure you follow me on Instagram at Tara A. Mackey or on Facebook at The Organic Life. Can we talk about for a minute who we would have, who we would like to see cast should yes. the cards, uh, should the table turn? Mm-hmm. So my two, t- what part of what was hard about this is I would say there were two things that made it hard. One is that I'm closer to 40 than I ever realized. And so casting an older <laughs> woman forced me to reckon with the fact that 
I am an older woman. And by older, that's like older by Hollywood standards. But it was like, oh, I'm looking by for Hollywood someone who's like my age. Are aged. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was like, oh, okay. Got it, got it, got it. And then two is that who Holly, like A, Hollywood actresses don't look their age and B, who Hollywood considers an older woman is older than 40, right? Like I was immediately like Jennifer Connelly, Thandie Wayne mm. Newton, even Angelina Jolie. Are they Jolie. closer to 50? Yes, all okay. closer to 50. Um, uh-huh. And then Kate Beckinsale also, who actually does date much younger oh, men. yeah. Um, Gina Gershon, I was thinking, which also I think falls into She's like same. 60. I looked this yeah, up when no, I saw totally. her. No, she's like 58. Right. Yeah. So people who are like somewhat closer to 40 that I felt it could be good. I felt like Kerry Washington could be great. Love. I think love. she's probably like 45 or so, but again, because also very... has a certain amount of like aloof polish. Yeah, aloof this polish is exactly right. It's like this character's not, she's confident, but like in a reserved way. She's yeah, sexy, yeah, 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 but yeah, in yeah. like not a super like showy uh, loud way. way or showy yeah. way. Exactly. I just think Emily Blunt is such a good and versatile actress that she mm. could definitely do it. Let's see who else. Abigail Spencer and Jordana Brewster wild cards, but I was like, I feel like they look the part that I have in uh-huh, mind. Uh-huh, um, oh, uh-huh, Rose Byrne. Uh-huh. Rose Byrne, I really felt like could do it. I think that's, I think that's strong. Yeah. I think yeah. that's strong. I also felt like an older Zoe Kravitz. <laughs> I just, because who's Depending sexier? On how long this, how long this movie takes. <laughs> Who is uh, sexier Zoe than Zoe Kravitz, right? No so one. I, that's the yeah, thing. No exactly. One. Can we talk about Hayes? I know this is hard for you because mm-hmm. your answer for Hayes is just Harry Styles and you can't imagine any other way. It's going to be really hard for me to see anyone other than Harry Styles. And then I struggled because I just don't keep track of the teen dreams. Like I barely know who they are. Also because I think the teen dreams of today are so, besides Harry Styles, are so like, oh, that's who you're putting on the cover of Tiger Beat. But <laughs> I just like... I have a couple thoughts. Okay. I have a couple thoughts. Okay. Um. Nick Robinson. Do you know who mm-hmm. that is? He was, well, I you do. do because yeah, you saw we saw Love, Simon. Mm-hmm. We saw yeah. Love, Simon. He, in Love, Simon, is like obviously significantly younger than he mm-hmm. is today. Yeah. But also he was really good in everything, everything and was mm-hmm. much more like moody, broody. Okay. And like, I don't know. He's 26. I do think Nick Robinson is really cute. He just like, I don't think he's like super heartthrob. Like, totally. remember like, in our day, we had really good heartthrobs. I, Jared Leto. No, I get it. That was I get, like a heartthrob. I mean, listen, I think he's heartthrobby for people who are 16. Okay, okay. Like he's a Remember Jeremy and Jason London? Like that's a heartthrob. Yeah, but do you remember Jonathan Taylor <laughs> Thomas? Not never. I was never into him. I mean, of course. Never. No, but you had friends who were. <laughs> yes, true. Yeah, we all okay. had friends who were. Yes, um, we had our share of these people. I, exactly. Your point stands. Michael Cimino. Mm-hmm who, I don't know if I'm saying his last name correctly, and apologies if I'm not, um, who's the star of Love, Victor. He has a very boy band look about him. Okay, like, I got to Google him. Yeah, Maybe. please Google him right now. Okay, just I'm like, Googling. I don't know. He has a certain, like, he's got the smile and, like, a certain, like, prettiness. Like, uh-huh. boyish polish. And the hair okay. definitely, oh, like... Um, no, he would play... One, one of the other, of the band, other members. band members who's like yeah. super pretty boy. He's a pretty boy. He could yeah. totally be one of the other band members. I'm I'm happy with that for okay. him. And yeah. then here's the one that I feel best about, which is Sean Mendes. I was gonna put him on the list. I but I again felt like he's just not beautiful enough. But I I you don't agree. think so. I mean, part, I think he is. I do think it's like I'm. Yeah, you're right. He is. He. I, he was like the one person other than Jacob Elordi who came to mind for me. Mm. And and part of it is like those are two people who I know in this age range. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. 
neither of them I think are like truly beautiful enough. Um, but I do think Sean Mendes is actually probably the closest. And I think you're right that that's the one you should feel best about. Jacob Elordi only seems cute to me. Like in a couple of paparazzi shots I've seen of him with Zendaya and the Instagram that Kaya Gerber just posted of him like in bed and shirtless for his birthday. <laughs> if people want references. I, if that's what he, that's what he should have brought to the casting, exactly. those two pictures. If that picture of him shirtless in bed on Kaya Gerber's Instagram is the version of him we would get, I'm fine with him being cast in this role. Okay. But I think, both of them I think that version could show up, yeah. to be honest. I also just like, they're both a little beefcake-y and I don't think Hayes is a beefcake. He's like- I don't think either of those people, I don't think <laughs> those people are beefcake-y. They're like, yeah, fine. Okay. I am not anyway. going to be satisfied with anybody other no, than Harry. No, listen, listen, yeah. listen. Can we talk about how the author feels? Yeah. So first on the day it was announced, so she's very active in the Facebook group. And first the day it was announced, she posted something pretty short with like, thank you so much for all of the support. And like, thank you for supporting this book and these characters, dot, 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 as I wrote them. So it was like a very clear and pointed veiled, message. Veiled, yeah. veiled, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that like, she, Failed that, criticism. Yes, that this book and these characters were not being transitioned to the big screen in the way that she wrote them. And then she wrote this really long statement that I will not read the whole thing, but it is pretty juicy. So I'm going to read some of it. She said, there's a lot of back and forth going on in this group these past few days. And I feel the need to say a few things. I am always, always going to encourage freedom of expression here so long as people are kind to each other and not espousing falsehoods. I am always going to be appreciative of the love and support I feel here from my book. The film is a completely different beast and contractually, I'm not allowed to say very much about it. But know that I had every intention to put my story and my characters out into the world as I had written them. And I chose boom. people... Boom. I, <laughs> boom. And I chose people who had expressly articulated that they felt the same. I would never, ever willingly part with the integrity of my story Unless, of course, there was a gun to a loved one's head or something equally horrific. <laughs> but know that I would never willingly sell out Hayes and Solen for a paycheck ever. Those are my babies. They are my tears and sweat and blood. Wow. That's about half of it. Yeah. Yeah. Like not barely even. Should we get into the second half of this episode? Let's do it. Okay. So what's um, the second half about? The second half of this episode. Um, God, the, this is a good episode. I'm just realizing like, wow. wow. It really is. It really yeah. is. So the lovely, lovely crew over at Call Your Girlfriend, Amina and Anne and Gina are doing this Summer of Friendship series. Mm -hmm. And they asked us if, if we would answer some questions and tell some stories about our friendship. Mm -hmm. um, so you can catch all of that over on their podcast, along with interviews and other all kinds of goodness about friendship for this summer, which like this is the summer of friendship because last summer certainly was not. <laughs> it was absolutely not. So we're going to have this conversation about like the history and present of our friendship, which I'm really and excited to and do. trials and tribulations and victories and challenges and wins and I don't know, all and of losses. it. I can't believe we've never really had like done this before. It felt when they emailed, it was like, oh yeah, what a good That's idea. That's a good idea. Yeah. Hi, I'm Claire Mazer. Hi, I'm Erica Cerullo. And we are the hosts of the A Thing or Two podcast. Oh my gosh, we so are. We really are. We've been doing <laughs> this. We've been doing this podcast in some incarnation since like 2014. Does that sound right? I think that's right. I think that's yeah. right. And it's companion newsletter since like 2012. Yeah, that's right. Anyway. Um, anyway, we talk about a lot of stuff. We talk about shopping. We talk about friendship for sure. Life stuff, discoveries we're excited about all sorts of nonsense. And this, I think the timeline thing we didn't get into that was obviously incredibly relevant to what we're doing right now, which is mm -hmm. we've been friends since 2006. 
No, 2002. Oh God, wow. Yeah. <laughs> 2006 is when you graduated when I college. Graduated well, I don't know why college. that's the relevant number that stuck out in my head. 2002, 2002 is when I graduated from high school and started college <laughs> and met you on the campus of University of Chicago. Yes. Which I don't remember like the very, very first meeting, but I remember being aware of you before our first formal meeting. Do you remember the first time seeing me? Well, I remember the first time seeing you. So the first time I saw you, I was having a very ill-advised lunch with an Mm. Um, Mm ex-boyfriend, Brian, because I know you're like going to ask. Well, you um, just saw the wheels turning and I was like, and and you saw me, you saw me process. No, I'm not going to say his name out loud. (laughs) See all of that. All of who it. knows who's listening? Who knows? I feel yeah. like first name. You know how many Brian's okay. there are? I think. Plenty. Yeah. And I was having an ill-advised lunch with him, meeting in the nice him dining hall. In the nice dining hall, okay. meeting him outside of the nice dining hall in the mini quad there. And yeah. you walked out of your dorm, which was the like fancy new dorm that yeah. I had lived in the year before. And you had running gear on, and were like pulling your hair up into a big like bun ponytail situation on the top of your head hilarious Um, that I had running gear on because I was not a runner and I embarked on like at best a three week long effort to be a runner my like new college college. new you yes exactly (laughs) and I remember like lots of people seeing me and commenting on it and thinking I was a runner and it's just funny because anybody listening would be like oh of course it makes sense that Eric the first time Erica saw Claire she was running because now I am a really big runner but You really caught me on one of like, I don't know, five runs. I partially clocked it because I was at that point a runner and Mm -hmm. I'm not anymore. Yeah. um, But was like, oh, like this. Okay. Because that was pretty like a fairly rare thing on the University of Chicago campus. Um, And also I clocked it because you had great hair. Um, Thanks. Just like really excellent hair. (laughs) So that was like my first like, who is this Uh person moment. And then you started dating this dude who... We can say, we can call him Mike. We can call him Mike. Yeah. Um, Who... (laughs) Is this too much of an identifying feature who wore cargo or carpenter? Carpenter jean. Carpenter jeans. Shorts? They were like, no, they were like tapered cargo. cargo, They were cargo cargo jeans. But I think they were also covered. Yeah, they were like cargo jean pants. They were, they were not good. No, no, that wasn't what you liked about him. But then he was on the basketball team and your ex was also on the basketball team. Yeah. Okay. Like really, God, these details sound so trite. Um, But... But, you know, it meant our social circles were starting to, like, overlap. Yeah. So I remember, like, seeing you at a party or two parties at your boyfriend's house who lived with a friend of mine. Mm, That Um, place. Another mic. A different, somehow a different mic. Uh And, like, we maybe, like, exchanged hellos or, like, Mm -hmm. I don't know, maybe we're introduced to each other, like, in a passing way. And then I remember you saw me the next, we saw each other the next day or whatever on the quad and passed. And you were like, oh, hi, like, Mm -hmm. in greeting, which, again, was something that didn't happen at the University (laughs) of Chicago because people were real nose to the sidewalk when they're walking Uh around campus. Right, because U of C has a reputation for being, like, just socially awkward. They sell shirts at the bookstore that say where fun comes to die. So there was, I always said while I was there that it was, like, I didn't know how big the entire student body was, but the size of the student body that was actively social felt like the size of my high school. So it felt For like sure. high school in some way. Yes, that feels uh-huh. exactly right. Then we had this like mutual frenemy, we say. Yes, mutual frenemy. Who's who, credited in the acknowledgments of our book, Work Wife. Yes. Because we wouldn't, we, none of this would have happened without him, I suppose. 
It probably would I mean, have. honestly, it probably would have, but <laughs> yeah. he really was so intentional about it that I do mm-hmm. think he, like, he explicitly set up a friend date, which I think deserves a good amount of credit. Like, yeah. this was someone who'd lived in my dorm, basically, like, lived in our dorms my in my freshman year and your sophomore year. Mm-hmm. And he was just a real, like, character. Like, in the way that coming from the Midwest in Illinois, I didn't really know existed. Mm-hmm. Like, he went to Sidwell Friends in mm-hmm. D.C. and just, like, was very worldly. He called yeah. Illinois a flyover state, even <laughs> though he was physically there and, like, going to school <laughs> there. And just, like, had a real, like, attitude about him. He was about really him. intentionally provocative. And, like, now... <laughs> yeah. Now having a sense to his dad was a like Pulitzer Prize winning journalist and yeah. I think was like a war reporter maybe is that right yeah either way now having more of a sense of the media landscape like everything about his upbringing and the way it would have informed his personality makes a lot more sense of like the sort of like type that he was emulating I suppose I just didn't know it was a type at the time <laughs> no, I, I mean yeah I had encountered ones like him before but so he he you and he had been in the same dorm you'd been friends before and then he and I were in the same dorm and he rightly was like you two should meet and I think that things on a really superficial level that he probably identified in us that that like he was like oh these two would like each other is that we were like interested in design and fashion and pop culture but also academically minded and also kind of didn't put up with his shit yes and yes, I think yes, yes, like yes, didn't yes. mind didn't mind being poked and could stand up to it and would push back on stuff and like didn't mind getting into an argument. Um, Which is something he just like respected in his friends in general. Like that was a quality he sought for Mm -hmm. sure. So then then we were set up on this lunch date in that same cafeteria, the same fancy cafeteria. And I don't know why I have like one of my like just very visual memories from that is standing at the checkout line with you. Like I can picture that. Stand- you can? Like, I don't know why. Like I can't picture a lot of other stuff, but I, it's like, that's a snapshot. That is a snapshot in my head standing behind you as we checked out. And like, I think you were wearing a pale pink shirt, but that might, I might just be conflating that with the fact that the only colors you wore in college, you had a strict rule, mm-hmm. pink, black, and white, right? That was yeah. it, Gray. Yeah. Yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Colors between black and white were fine. <laughs> um, so, you know, a pale gray, a charcoal, totally yeah. fine. And pink. Um, yeah. And that was definitely one of the first things. I mean, in general, I was attracted to the fact that you were interested in fashion, you liked fashion, and you, I think beyond that, had like a general curiosity and a knowingness about things. Like we had similar references that felt really specific and not common. And I think this was pre like this version of the internet. And in this version of the internet, everybody has the same references. But then it was like the fact that you knew fashion brands that weren't just sold at, you know, you know wherever everybody was shopping. At the mall, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. felt like, oh, we have this thing in common and nobody else does. And I was super interested in the fact that you had made this rule for yourself about the pink, black, and white. Like I wanted to ask a million questions about it and was just like, and, and respected it for sure. One of I one of the early stories that you told me that I remember just feeling like, oh wow, this is like okay, this I, I like this. I am into this. I'm into the like just like exuberantly throwing your stuff yourself at things mm-hmm. was telling me that on road trips, you and your brother in the back of the car <laughs> would play a game, a game, um, <laughs> where you would go through fashion magazines and like cover the name, the credits and identify <laughs> who the models were. 
who, who the designers were. I, yeah, this, yes. Excuse me. Identify who the designers were. I, like, I haven't brought and this up. And your brother was good enough at this to, <laughs> to compete. Because, I mean, I need to bring this up with my brother and see how much he remembers about it. Because my mom would drag us shopping everywhere. My mom was really into fashion too, which was where I got the references from. But yeah, he he would be really good at it. And so we'd be like, I think that's Armani. Like, I think that's <laughs> Calvin Klein. It's insane now that I think about it. And it's insane to me that my brother, who was not like deeply interested in the same way, like he, he would have rather been to the museum. He was exposed and he has a really good memory. Yeah. He is a historian. So he's he, a historian. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I also, I mean, I think I recognized very early on that, you know, you all, like the, these fashion references, yes. And you were also mm-hmm. just like, very cosmopolitan, but in a different way than our other mutual friend was. Mm-hmm. Um, and as someone who was not at all, I was like very attracted to that. And but it's, it's funny because I didn't, I thought of you as someone who was like, and you still are this way, who was like very proactive about seeking it out. Like I felt like we were the same. I mean, I'd grown up in Wilmington, Delaware and like granted it was like on a coast and I'd spent a lot of time in New York, but I felt like we had both had the same experience of like just really loving magazines and being early to the internet and just seeking this stuff out because it wasn't just automatically around us. That's right. I think that's right. We both lived in small towns that were like two to three hours from a big city. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And knew that we wanted to be in the big city more than we wanted to be in the small town. Yeah, for sure. And then we also both loved Sanrio and knew that there was something like fashion about it. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like it wasn't just being ironic or like... It was not ironic at all. Right. And my affection for Sanrio has never been ironic and I don't feel like yours has either. No, and I don't think it also wasn't like like a rave kid phase or something like the way, you know what I mean? Like rave kids would carry lunch boxes and like, and fetishize like cartoon characters. We were like, no, Sanrio is design. It's good design. <laughs> yeah, this is good exactly. design. Yeah. Um, and it's ageless and timeless. That's right. In fact, I just like found a note you wrote me on Sanrio stationary from like, I don't know, probably 2006, like floating around my house. I have tons I mean, of them. there's still Sanrio stationary in my apartment. Yeah, same, same. Why wouldn't there be? Thank you so much to Maiden for sponsoring today's episode. So Maiden sent us one of their carbon steel frying pans. Mm -hmm. And before I received it, I didn't really know what my list of requirements for an egg frying pan were. Mm -hmm. But upon receiving it and using it, I'm like, oh, okay, I know them. I know them. Tell me. It's nonstick. It's Mm -hmm. like carbon steel is like very similar to cast iron. Carbon steel is super similar to cast iron Mm -hmm. in that you don't like soap it and whatever. And it's Mm -hmm. like, you know, it has that same like natural nonstick quality if you treat it right or very Mm -hmm. kind to it. Yes. Um, But it's less heavy, which is also like an extreme win for the egg frying situation. But so it's a nonstick. It's the like, like less heavy. So are you flipping the egg? I'm not flipping them, but I do end up like moving it around somewhat. You want to be able to even cooking. You want to be able to handle it. You want to be like, exactly, exactly. Yeah. I'm yeah. not just like throwing something on it and letting yeah. it sit, you yeah. know? And then the sides of this pan, Claire, mm, this is like a real of, victory. I agree about this. The sides kind. are high. They prevent yeah. like oil splashing on yes. my like oven or my range. And then the sides like are perfect for sloping like off onto a plate. It's just like, 
the shape, the shape. The shape is great. I have to say the sides are high, but like you said, they sort of slope outward. So it's not like they're steaming your food. No. It's not like a bowl. It's not it's a not trapping. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But yes, they make it very easy to, to like manage movement around this pan. It's a great pan. A, a great pan. pan. It, it's a great pan. And listen, if you fry eggs half as much as I do, this mm-hmm. is a pan for you. It's a good pan. I Another intro topic. I want to hear all about the different like egg frying preparations. Um, <laughs> until then, Maiden is a cookware and kitchenware brand that works with renowned chefs and artisans to produce some of the world's best pots, pans, knives, and wine glasses. They produce professional quality cookware and knives for those who love to cook. They source the finest materials and partner with renowned craftsmen to make premium kitchen tools available directly to you without the markups. Maiden products are made to last and they offer a lifetime guarantee. Their cookware distributes heat evenly and can easily go from the stovetop to the oven. And their knives are fully forged, perfectly balanced, and stay sharp. They have over 28,000 five-star reviews and their products are used by some of the world's best chef at Michelin-starred restaurants around the world. Maiden is better cookware for better meals. Right now, Maiden is offering our listeners 15% off your first order with promo code a thing or two. This is the best discount available anywhere online for Maiden products. Go to maidencookware.com slash a thing or two and use promo code a thing or two for 15% off your first order. That's maidencookware.com slash a thing or two. Use promo code a thing or two. Thank you so much for supporting the brands that help us bring this show to you every week. Thank you so much to Modern Fertility for sponsoring today's episode. As always, before we talk about modern fertility, we want to take a minute just to acknowledge how painful the topic of fertility can be for a lot of people and to send our love to anyone dealing with infertility or pregnancy loss and encourage you, if you would like, if you need to, to skip over this part, just hit the 30-second fast-forward button a few times and be on your way. Erica, so it just so happens I I got my IUD in this morning Mm -hmm. um, and I was telling you about it, but as I was waiting for it to happen, I was reflecting upon when I got my IUD out like many moons ago. And I remember I was meeting you for a breakfast meeting right after. And I came and I just cried to you. And it was this weird thing because it was this incredibly emotional experience where I like got my IUD out with the thought that like I was going to try to get pregnant possibly. eventually. Yeah, 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 but yeah. I was definitely not there yet. And it was like, I hadn't sorted through or processed any of it. So instead I'm just like randomly sobbing to you about this at, at this breakfast meeting. And I remember just feeling like, I don't know what I want. I, I, there, it feels like there's so many question marks. I don't even know if I can get pregnant. Like maybe well, that's like going to be the thing. Staring into a void or something where you're yeah. like, great, I did this thing, but I have no information about like what might be on the other side of this, what the process might be for me if I do want to to have a kid or whatever. Right, which is like all of parenting, right? Like we've talked about this. Like it's like parenting is the biggest decision you can make about which you have the least amount of information, whether or not you're going to like it. And same with like, like you don't know what it's going to be like when, you know, are you going to have an easy time? How long do you have, et cetera, et cetera. And it's one of the reasons I'm so excited about what modern fertility is doing because obviously they can't solve all of that for you, but they can give you just a little bit more information around, you know, what your what your situation is going to look like. It, it just it takes a little bit of the mystery out of reproductive health. Exactly. Exactly. That's why modern fertility was created. It's the easy and affordable way to test your fertility hormones at home with a simple finger prick. Mail it in with a prepaid label and you'll get your personalized results within 10 days. Traditional testing with a doctor can cost over $1,000, but modern fertility only costs $159 to get the same information. And if you go to modernfertility.com slash a thing or two, you can get $20 off your test. 
Also, if you have an HSA or FSA, you can use those dollars on modern fertility. You'll get insight into how many eggs you have, hormone levels, and other important fertility factors. The results go deep into what every hormone means, and you can also talk one-on-one with a fertility nurse to review your results and the options for next steps. If you want kids today, or maybe one day in the future, or you just want to like understand what's happening, you can get the information that you need that will help you make the decision that's best for you. Right now, Modern Fertility is offering our listeners $20 off the test when you go to modernfertility.com slash a thing or two. That means your test will cost $139 instead of the hundreds or thousands it could cost at a doctor's office. Get $20 off your fertility test when you go to modernfertility.com slash a thing or two. Modernfertility.com slash a thing or two. There was this really good question on the list of like conversation prompts about what's something you get from this friendship that you don't get from any other, which is funny because I think I have always felt that our relationship, our friendship is like extremely distinct. And even before we started of a kind and like when we started of a kind, I was very aware of the fact that there is nobody else that I could have started a business with that I'm all, well, period, but especially that I'm friends with, because you always get that question of like, you're really starting a business with a friend. And like, that's so crazy. And how is it going to work? And I would always be like, I totally get it. It's just that this one friendship, it makes sense for. And I think part of it is that our friendship has always been, there's like an intellectual and academic sameness is my best way yeah. of thinking about yeah, yeah, it. Yeah, that yeah, it's predicated yeah, 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 on, yeah, yeah. Which like yeah. sort of speaks to that idea of like, yes, like we had the same interests and in fashion and we didn't immediately deep dive into like, this boy broke my heart and that's what we're bonding over. Like we bond, like our initial bonding and like the basis of our friendship was really interest More interest-based. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's not as common in a lot of my friendships and it's not as common maybe in female friendship in general because I think a lot of female friendships are just like more emotional. And it wasn't that we were like thrown into a situation together and like- It wasn't like we sat next to each other in a class and worked together on a project or something. I don't know. We it does feel like in some ways we really chose it. Yeah. Oh, we definitely did, and we've we never we much now have much more of like a networked friendship where like we have so much mutual friend overlap. But that really wasn't until we started of a kind and start that started to happen more naturally. But back then we liked each other's friends. We knew each other's friends. We'd see each other at the same parties, but we were like our own little like we were like Twosome. a duo. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we were also not like BFF inseparable. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't that it was just like, this is my friend. <laughs> it was sense. just like, this is my friend. <laughs> yeah. uh-huh. Uh-huh. I also think that like something over time that I think has become so core to our relationship in this sense that like, why well, just, I just could never, would never have any other relationship like this is just the like proximity mm-hmm. that we've had to each other for such a long time and spending like so much time together. And also I think the empathic way that we try to approach each other's lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and there has just been such like, God, deep share. Oh my gosh. <laughs> over the last, you know, 12 years at least, um, of some, just seeing yeah. each other every day, more or less. Every day and being exposed to every part of each other's lives. Somebody asked me the other day, they were like, is it healthy? Like, how does that, like, is it actually a healthy relationship? And I was like, yeah, no, I really, it is. And I was like, I tried to think of how to explain it. I was like, it's really like sibling-like, I guess, um, like is the best way to try to describe it. We just like know each other so well. And of course we get annoyed with each other, but like it's, it's, it's become familial at this point. 
um, I think obviously. that's fair. Yeah, I I still have a hard time articulating like, it's like, God, my brothers, my relationships with my brothers aren't like this. So I'm not sure. <laughs> right. No, I mean, same. And neither of us had sisters yeah. to like right. be able so to engage it against. Yeah. Yeah, right. yeah, 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 yeah. I think that now our relationship is different because we've had, like you said, like this level of intimacy that is like hard to describe. But when we started of a kind, like, we were such close friends. I saw you all the time. There was like, you were absolutely one of my we closest friends. We saw each other friends. weekly. But there yeah. was still stuff like, we weren't like diving into it about each other's sex lives in the way we might no. now. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, yeah, like, yeah. once you spend this much time together. But it just, it wasn't the sort of like, it wasn't like a raw friendship. It was like a very cerebral in some way, maybe friendship. Like, I, like I just think we had the same interests. We would like do these activities together. And we were super close and super there for each other emotionally, but it's like more transformed into this one that feels like really like all in. <laughs> well, I think there was like less need for vulnerability before. Y- vulnerability. Okay. Does That's, that make sense? Yes. I think the vulnerability is a big part. And I mean, certainly I can think back on these, we were like turning points in our relationship. And I think probably all of them are moments where we were super vulnerable with each other in a way that we like, hadn't been or weren't with other people. And what were the moments for you? There's like a couple that I can think of. Okay. Two that like really speak to vulnerability and that felt new in a way. One, when you showed up at my shitty apartment, like more or less unannounced, like maybe you texted him and like, are you home? No, I think I called and I was crying. (laughs) Like, I think it was like, I think it was like maybe, yeah, Yeah. I was leaving a bar and I called and I was crying and I was like two blocks from your apartment. I was like, are you home? Yeah. And you came over and cried in my bed about a boy. And I think there were two things that like really surprised me about that. And I remember like talking to you and actively registering this surprise and having to be like, you're going to have to process the surprise later because she needs you to just like be a good friend right now. So like try to like just compartmentalize that. The two things that surprised me were, were one that you, A, could be hurt by a boy, which I know is crazy, but you were always just so composed and confident and like (laughs) didn't have boy drama. (laughs) Oh my God. Like I just always felt like you, I mean, I knew that there were like, you'd had your share of boy problems, but this felt like, it always felt like you had been so I mean, this is the wrong word, but like adult about it where you were like, well, mm. that didn't work or that sucks or he was a jerk or whatever. And I'm moving on. And the right thing to do is to just like forget about him forever. And this was a moment where you were admitting like defeat in some ways or totally. something like, and that it was really hurting you. And then the other was like, I I don't know if it was surprised, but like felt so privileged that it was me who you decided to come to about it. And I was just like, wow. So that really? was one. Yeah, I don't know. I was just like, oh, like, I, you know why? Because I was always such a mess. So I would say another thing that you I- You were like, your room was a mess, <laughs> but you yourself weren't a mess. No, but emotionally I was a mess. So like, who was I to give you advice about boys? You, you, weren't, emotion, you weren't emotionally a mess. Well, the thing, I can't remember the chronology of this, but another sort of like turning point in our relationship that at the time felt totally normal to me, but I look back on and I'm like, that's pretty remarkable is you spent a summer abroad in, or a quarter abroad in Barcelona. Yes. And we would send the most epic emails back and forth. And I can't actually remember if you sent the most epic emails, but I know that I would just emotionally- Oh, I definitely did. <laughs> I would just emotionally dump on you about this guy that was breaking my heart at the time all the time. And you would write back really thoughtful responses. And at the time, it was like, of course, she's my friend. She would do this. But now I look back and I'm like, the like um, accountability that you felt to me to like address my boy problems over long emails while you were abroad, like doing your own thing was so generous. (laughs) 
Claire, that's like such a kind framing of it. I definitely was dumping emails back and I had a Blackberry. Yeah, that I remember. I had like an early, early (laughs) Blackberry, which like why? But I did. And I would just like lay there in bed, study abroad and like with my (laughs) thumbs type out just these like long missives. And to this day, you will do more communicating on a like on an actual phone with your thumbs than I ever would. And I always attribute it to your early adoption of the Blackberry. <laughs> because like, fair. I will never write a full, I will, I rarely write emails on a phone period unless I have to. And you'll just like bang them out. And I'm like, wow. Well, I mean, I think, yeah, we would have to otherwise go to a school that was like 20 blocks away or go to the internet cafe, which was right. four blocks away. <laughs> so it felt, it was a huge privilege, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> have a yeah. Blackberry, what a nonsense device. One of the things that I always think about is when you were contemplating breaking up with a bad boyfriend. This was the third one I was going to bring up. We, it's funny because at that point we really were super close and, and like, I mean, we were super close the whole time, but at that point, but not like, as an adult way, not a college yeah, way. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I, and at that point I like also understood that we, what we were in was like a lifelong, like impactful, meaningful relationship, but I didn't confide in anybody that I was contemplating breaking up with him because it was really complicated and he was really toxic and jealous and it was an abusive, honestly. And so it was really scary for me to admit to anybody, including myself. And I remember we were at Mermaid Inn, the one in the vill- in East Village or just like Greenwich Village, I guess, sitting at a high top. And I told you and you reacted. So just like, yeah, okay. I think like, that might be a good idea. And yeah, it was... Yeah, yeah, yeah so meaningful and such a turning point in my ability to do this thing that was ultimately like, I still look at it as like one of the most life-changing decisions I made. And you, yeah, you were just, you didn't say like, oh my God, you didn't say like, thank God I've been dying for you to come to this realization. You'd also stuck with me through the relationship, which was another thing. But well, I think I was a little bit blind, honestly, to the fact that the relationship was of the nature that it was. So that is like, I think another important like piece of the biography of our relationship or the history of our relationship is that I was for four years in this super toxic relationship with someone who really intentionally isolated me from all of my friends. And for whatever reason, he identified you as someone who was not a threat. And so you were one of my like lifelines in a way throughout that those four years where it was like you were one friend I was able to still hold on to and socialize yep. with and we and would because go on I was dates. like allowed in I just don't, I don't think I had yeah. a true sense of what was going on like totally. I knew that he was controlling to a certain mm-hmm. extent or at least like very stringent or like particular definitely mm-hmm. but yeah he also liked my boyfriend yeah. now husband in a way that yeah. was sort of unlikely and surprising mm-hmm. yeah. um they were politically yeah. aligned <laughs> were and they both like to play basketball. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> and it's funny because I remember during that period, I mean, I guess another thing about the dynamic of our relationship and that like came through then too, or like I remember being conscious of them was that like, I never wanted to let you down. I never wanted to disappoint you. I always wanted to like meet your standards, which like, I think you've always just been sort of like more mature than most or like, you know, especially when we were in college and stuff. And so I went to great pains in that relationship to be like, no, we can't be late. We can't cancel on them. We can't like this, that, the other, because it was like, this is like the one friendship I still have. And I don't want her. I didn't want you to be like, what the fuck is going on there? What's this flakiness? Or like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
Yeah. And so, so yeah, I think that definitely informed our friendship too. And, and, and in fact, it did because when we came up with the idea for Of A Kind, I hadn't broken up with him yet. And I think us initially coming up with the idea helped me get the courage to break up with him because I saw this thing on the other side that I would never be able to do with him. And like, for many reasons, you were the only person in my life who like, I ever would have, we would have ever shared this idea together, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it was just like, yeah, that was like, yeah, that was part of it too. The other time where I felt like our relationship went to a new place for me was I had a lot, like a lot of parental drama um, for like long stretches of time for like full year of just like mental health stuff and like whatever. Mm -hmm. And I have a husband who is incredibly supportive, but like incredibly supportive in his way. Mm -hmm. And during that time, you are incredibly supportive in a very different way. Mm -hmm. And I think I had these like flashes of being like, God, like I can't imagine not having you. Like Mm -hmm. I can't imagine like trying to go through this with like just this one person as a support who like, again, is trying, like is doing everything that he can to be supportive. Um, But you both support in such different ways. Mm -hmm. Um, And you have such an interest in like, not maybe maybe interest isn't fair um, because maybe you didn't have an interest at all, but you have an ability to like tap into and uh, latch onto all of the like granular parts mm-hmm. of things. I and, think it's fair to call it an interest. Okay, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, you'll just like dive in, you know, yeah. you will dive in really deep and you knew mm-hmm. every player, you knew the mm-hmm. name of every doctor. You'd be like, is that this doctor or this doctor? Or, like, mm-hmm. what was that? Or like, how did that, mm-hmm. was, was the medication this or this or that? And... I needed that. Like yeah. I needed someone to be able to just dump on sometimes. Yeah. Um, and also to be able to like provide really informed feedback that I didn't need to be like getting up to speed constantly or like mm-hmm. whose opinion I could trust to understand this and not see that like me dumping on you was like flailing or like a cry mm-hmm. for, I don't know, was like something else. I don't know. Yeah. That was the other, that, that was the fourth thing I thought of too is this like, that moment. And it's funny because that facet of our friendship like took on such a different, has like through the years taken on such different like shapes and meaning. And I will say that like, it's a weird way to put it, but it's a privilege. Like I remember, this is such a weird thing, but so I remember this was before of a kind when this like all the first sort of like this started. And I remember you probably G chatted me and you were like, Hey, are you available like can you get drinks like today or tomorrow and back then you know I don't know how we were so busy we were in our 20s but we were always like planning stuff weeks in advance and I was like wow she wants to see me really soon and it's like really like intentional and it feels pressing and I was like oh my god she's totally gonna tell me she's engaged oh my god this is like so exciting and like just I knew you had an announcement to make and we met at the lobby of the Greenwich Hotel um, and that whatever. was extremely I, fancy of us. Incredibly fancy. I walked by it recently and I was like, wow, I like never go there. And I can we like, like 24 and 25 year old oh dummies. And yeah. they, okay, sure. I can like look and picture like that, that's another very visual memory. Like I can like look into that room and see us at the exact table we were sitting uh-huh. at. And I remember when you told me like the actual news, I was like, I did. I felt privileged that you were like, I got to tell Claire and I want to like, and that you wanted like my thoughts or just my support or whatever. And then it morphed into this thing where like sitting across a couple's desk from you, however many years later, and you'd have to like run and get a phone call to just be able to be like, I feel so lucky right now that I can like be the type of person she needs to be while dealing with this in a work environment and like can tell 
everybody else, like, we're going to push this meeting by an hour and not talk to you about it and just be like, know what you needed in that moment felt yes. like, yeah, like great to be able to do. Well, we've talked about so many times mm-hmm. um, just the value of having that relationship at work mm-hmm. um, and like the person who knows at least just like enough about you yeah. and enough about like what shit you're dealing with to be able to like, I don't know, like step in and like tap, like tap in basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And certainly you've done that for me in a million different ways. Like I, I'm, the first one that comes to mind is like when my grandmother was dying and I remember like, you know, obviously you were close with her too, but to you to just understand. Yeah. yeah. But like to, you understood like the gravity of it and the nature of it and like all the players involved and, and just everything. It just, it felt very like seamless the way, ways in which you were able to support me through that. And then a million other things, like many of which in retrospect seem super petty, but like both of us, you know, dealing with apartment stuff or moving stuff that's been dramatic where you're just like, I get it. And I know that it's awful. And yeah, the work thing, it it just makes such a big difference in the work environment to have that. What have been the times when you felt like our relationship was strained or hard or were you ever like, is this, is this going to like fray and crumble? I've never, I, in my mind, it's never, I've never gotten to the point where I'm like, is this the end? I just remember, I just remember when we started of a kind in those very early, like incredibly fraught days. I mean, I just feel like three months or however many months leading up to the launch and the first like three to six months post launch. So let's say a year or even everything just felt so fraught. And I remember having a moment walking from my apartment on the Upper West Side to the nearest UPS store to drop off shipments, like e-commerce orders, having this light bulb moment or something, this revelation, I was like, oh, if this thing doesn't work out, that will probably be the end of our friendship. And it was like really when it hit me. And several years later, still doing of a kind, at some point I realized that the business could fail and we would be fine. But in that moment, I was just like, fuck. And it's funny because like, obviously that should have occurred to me before. And I maybe had deep down known it, but I really had that moment then and was just like, okay, in addition to everything else, I've I've put at stake for this project. <laughs> like now our friendship this is on too. The line too. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Uh, I feel the same about that time. And maybe mine's like a little bit earlier. And it's like when we were determining the terms of the business and mm-hmm. like how that was all coming together and that felt very tense and like lawyers and like it was awful. Awful and official. Yeah. And you were the CEO and mm-hmm. that was like, I think a place of having to get to of being okay with that being a title and, but not necessarily feeling like not letting that be like, say something about, I don't know, like say something about like who we were as friends. Yeah. Does that make sense? It does. It does. Like, I, think, I mean, it was, I, yeah. I think like basically like for the first time we, they, we were being assigned roles, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And being assigned roles for the first time in your relationship when you were like however many years in, like eight mm-hmm. years into a friendship. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, we've never talked about like yeah. what role we would each right. play because we're just like friends. <laughs> and then all of a sudden there like was conversations about like who's in charge of this and who's in yeah. charge of that. And that's hard. It was awful. And it was like, you know, Obviously, in retrospect, so much of it was inconsequential and driven by like ego and insecurity and all of this stuff. And at the same time, it did feel like this really important test that like if we could get through that, yes, then like we could get through so much more. And because it truly was probably the hardest like argument we've ever had or like, 
you know, conversations to, to like, I don't know if it's like an argument, but like conflict or like tension yeah, yeah, or yeah, like yeah. process we've ever gone through. And I remember knowing at the time being like, this absolutely sucks. And also once it's done, it's done. And it does feel like this important part of things um, Agreed. or like Agreed. part of the process. And in that same way that like, you know, when we give advice to other people starting businesses with partners and they're like, how do I split up equity or how do I do this? And you're just like, the thing is you have to actually have the conversation because it, A, to protect yourself because you have to do this, but B, because like, if you can't do that, then you're not going to be able to deal with all the other stuff coming at you. A hundred percent. You can't just be like, it's going to be, we're going to be co-CEOs and we're going to yeah. have the same, 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 mm-hmm. and no one's in charge of anything. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Do you remember the first time when we met each other's families? I don't know if this is actually the first time. And I feel like I must have met your parents before this. But the thing that I like really remember is going to that pancake place in Chicago. With I, It's definitely the first time I met your brothers. And I yes. just remember them eating like the most, so many in the most ridiculous, like, like over in the top town pancakes. or like yeah. Wicker Park. I yeah, feel yeah, like yeah. you, I'm surprised you don't remember the name of it. I loved it. Had it. I can't in it. Yeah, it was like I can't Bobo remember. Or like, I loved it. I went there a lot. Um, but they did have these, like, it was always like stacks of four pancakes. Yes. And with it'd be pineapples just like covered and chocolate with like, and, right. It was yeah. like Hawaiian. And then it was like caramel and pineapple yeah. and blah, blah. And there was always, because it's the Midwest, a line at like 8.30 in the oh, morning yeah. on weekends. Oh, yeah. And I think that was the first time I met your brothers. And they were very much little brothers. And they were like kind of quiet and not obviously interested in me like or like or like participating in the conversation and they were just really focused on these these absurd pancakes and I think that helped me get a sense of like you as someone with little brothers whereas you had just been this like sort of like independent like very on top like you know self-possessed person and I was like oh this is also part of your life yes totally (laughs) um I can't I don't know if this was actually the first time that I met I can't remember meeting your dad for the first time I remember meeting your mom or like interacting with your mom. She was like down on campus one day and she was in the C shop, which was like the cool, Mm -hmm. one of the cool coffee shops on campus. And also like, it makes so much sense that your mom would have been like nosing around campus. Um, I feel like I know that this isn't true, but in my mind, she would show up unannounced on campus. And like, I'm sure that's not true, but (laughs) someone must, you must understand that we went to college in Chicago and my mother lived in Delaware and like still (laughs) lives there. And the fact, and she travels a lot for her job, but the consistency with which she would manage to route flights through O'Hare was shocking. Like she was there Impressive. constantly. Yes. Impressive. I like this question. How is our on-air friendship different from our off-air offline version? Mm. I mean, we're like less upbeat. We're For sure. I don't know. We talk a lot more shit. Like yeah. I, and I just, of course we don't. I mean, we try in general to like not go negative on the internet, including the internet, including the podcast universe in part because like, well, for a lot of reasons, not to be jerks. And like our opinions aren't always solid. And sometimes you just need to vent and like your opinions change. And I don't want this thing out there in the world. But I feel like, look, we're obviously opinionated on the podcast, but we're way more opinionated in real life. Yes. <laughs> yes. And our opinions are like even less vouched for or like, yeah, like yeah, I'm not as willing. Yeah. yeah. I'm not as willing to like stand up to them. I mean, obviously we're very close. We can like say a lot of shit that is like eyebrow raising and that the other one will be like, I know you didn't really mean that or you didn't mean it in the way you said it or whatever. Or like it I is. get how, yeah, I get what yeah. you meant. Yeah, yes. exactly. And yeah, I, that's one. Yeah. We're definitely less upbeat. I mean, we talk all the time. So we are also talk, you know, have, you know, have like moments where it's just like one of us is so tired or whatever it is. 
we have gotten slightly better about not going too deep on com- on topics we know we want to talk about on the podcast. But like a lot of times, I you know I know what your general take on something is going to be because we we just talk so much all day. This is this is I think a good one to end on maybe. Mm-hmm. What is one of our longest running inside jokes, aka personal memes? Okay. I struggle with this. I don't really know. I don't know if I know either. Well. <sighs> Okay, well, one... I was hoping you would. I was really hoping you would, clearly. I mean, I feel like we actually don't do this anymore, but at some point we were pretty good at like the shop anywhere of like, if you had to shop in that weird prom dress store that we just passed, like what would you get? Yes, yes, yes. I mean, we love to fantasize about setups. Yeah, true. and And casting movies. Yeah, well, and just like casting... Or like who would play this person, this person that we know in real mm. life in a movie. Like there, yes. there was like definitely a yes. period of time where we were doing a ton of that. Like we'd be eating a meal and we would spend the entire time being like, no, no, no. I think it's Ben Stiller. I think it's Ben yes. Stiller that would play that like VC we just met because of God, X, Y, and true. Z. Um, well, and I think, you know, to like take that one step further, we're just very interested in like casting the world and being like, this publication needs to write this article and this, someone needs to start this business. It shouldn't be us and it'll probably fail, but it's going to happen. And so like, let's just like get a move on with that, that thing. Lots of ideas we don't want to execute on. Yeah, exactly. I just (laughs) like, I, it was like what, 2012 when we were being like, someone needs to just start a restaurant that's just bowls, just like rice bowls and grain bowls and da-da-da. We're not interested in doing it. And we've always got a lot of article ideas we want to pitch for somebody else to write. And um, we've always got a lot of, you know, people who we think should be in X role. Like, tell us a job, an empty job role. And we're like, this person and that person. And we think, you know, we're just, we want to, we're fucking nosy and like, and want to just do all this stuff. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. I love Um, this. This was fun. That's the show. This has been a production of Dear Media, and we are so, so grateful to the talented team over there for helping us to make this podcast happen, especially our outstanding producer, Brian Peoples. You can follow us on Instagram at a thing or two HQ. If you have ideas for the show or want to advertise, email podcast at a thing or two HQ.com. Find show notes and sign up for our newsletter at a thing or two HQ.com. If you love our show, consider supporting it by signing up for a secret menu at, you guessed it, a thing or two HQ.com.